listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. As of today, January 21st, 2021, according to John Hopkins University, 406,536 people in the U.S. have been killed by the coronavirus. When you look globally, the number is over 2 million. I recently read an article in The Atlantic that tried to quantify and give some context to these numbers. The writer spoke with a sociologist at Penn State who had collaborated on a model called the bereavement multiplier. This model estimates that for every person who dies, there are nine people left behind to grieve. Given this, and nine seems like a pretty low estimate, there are currently over three and a half million people in the U.S. grieving family members and friends who have died of COVID-19. And that number is increasing every day, increasing and disproportionately affecting Black, Latinx, Pacific Islander, and other communities of color. Still, though, it's hard to really grasp what these numbers mean. Yesterday, I tuned into a memorial for those who have died of COVID. It was put on by Reimagine. During those hours, I watched as photos of parents, grandparents, partners, children, aunties, uncles, and cousins flashed across the screen. I saw their faces and read their names. As these images flashed, hundreds of other names were written in the chat. It was overwhelming. And it's these stories, stories of people who have died, of who they were in the world, of what they meant to others, of how lives are fundamentally changed without them here. These stories are what help us to start to comprehend the toll of this pandemic. Today, we hear one of those stories. The story of Maria, a mother, loved and admired, who lived with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, for over a decade, and who died this summer alone in a hospital from COVID. It's a story told by her youngest daughter, Mariana, who wants the world to better understand the lives behind these incomprehensible numbers, the lives and the love and the shared history and also the devastating grief. The grief of having someone die. The grief of having someone die while the world is locked in a pandemic, which is cutting us off from the rituals and cultural traditions that we turn to when someone dies. The grief of having someone die of a disease that is dismissed, downplayed, or even outright denied by some in our country and the world. Mariana, thank you so much for being part of Grief Out Loud and and for coming on the show and being willing to to share your story and to talk with us about your mom today. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. It's a pleasure. So tell us about your mom. I know you're the youngest in your family and and curious. I'm an only child, so I don't quite know what is a youngest relationship like, but what was your relationship with your mom like? Yeah, so... My mom's name was Maria. She was a warrior. She was independent, strong, and she always said what was on her mind. And she was a woman of strong faith, 
humble and she disciplined us when we needed it, but also gave us so much love. Um, she grew up in poverty in a ranch in Mexico and due to the lack of resources, the highest level of education she was able to complete was elementary school. And I grew up listening to stories of how she would walk barefoot for miles through dirt roads in order to receive whatever she could of an education. And inevitably she wasn't able to complete uh, school because she had to work in order to help my grandparents raise their family. And she immigrated to the US in search for a better life in her early twenties and worked hard to single-handedly raise four children. We were poor, but she made her home in Brownsville, Texas, a very loving one. Um, she had two jobs throughout my childhood. During the day, she worked as a cook in a restaurant making tortillas and tamales. And in the evenings, she worked at an okra factory. She'd take us during the summer to work in the okra factory with her. And as a child, I hated it because we worked in a bodega with no AC, mosquitoes biting us, uh, picking out the bad okra from the good one. And I remember asking her one time why she would take us there. And she said, so you can know how hard you have to work when you don't have an education. And that was enough to teach me the importance of an education. Being the youngest, I was very attached to her. Uh, growing up, I didn't have my own room. I shared a bed with her and I didn't get to see her as often as I would have liked because she was always working. But the times that we would spend together, I really cherished them. Sometimes she would go back to Mexico to visit her family for about a week. And I remember every time she called in to check in on us, I'd sort of just like cry on the phone and beg her to come back already. And then when I was 14, our lives changed. My mom was diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And at the time the doctor told her she had about eight months left and for her to start putting her affairs in order. Being the youngest and depending so much on my mom, it felt like the ground beneath me just fell. My mentality changed. I had to grow up and become the parent and take care of her. And I knew that I had to cling to education more now than ever because it was going to be my only salvation. I couldn't imagine being on this earth without her. And I knew I had to slowly start detaching because I knew that she wouldn't be here for much longer. The years passed and while she practically lost all of her mobility, she was still mentally there. She didn't depend on any type of feeding tubes or breathing machines or anything like that. It sort of just became our new normal. Uh, she never let her illness limit her because she always made sure that everything around the home was maintained well. And she even bought the lot next to our house, bought a fixer up her home, had it transported across the city and renovated it. And she became a landlord. And she did all of this from her wheelchair. And she was the best teacher I could have asked for. And so with this just intense perseverance through her, you know, through having ALS and through trying to figure out how to provide for you and your siblings while she has this illness, years go by and then you get a call that your mom's been diagnosed with COVID and wondering 
how did, who made that phone call? How did you hear what happened next? What did you do with the news? Yeah. So uh, it was, I was two days into the start of my grad program and I got a, a text from my brother, my older brother saying that he and my other brother and my mom had tested positive for COVID. And I knew what that could mean for my mom. I immediately wanted to grab my things and make the five and a half hour drive to be by her side. But my brother told me it would be best for me to stay safe and stay in Austin. I felt hopeless and frustrated. I stayed in Austin attending class virtually and all I could do was wait, hope, and, and pray. And so how, how long then did your mom deal with COVID before things started to shift with her prognosis and, then, and what happened next for you? It was about three weeks, almost a month, that she battled COVID. At first, she, my brothers were taking care of her at, at home. But then eventually when she started having breathing problems, that's when they decided to, to call the ambulance and, and they took her. I still had hope that things would get better and she would make it through because my mom in my eyes was just the strongest person in the world. And even though I was a little scared because I knew that it wasn't looking too good because of ALS, I still somehow had this hope that she would make it through. But then when they started bringing up the conversation of ventilator or no ventilator, that's when I, I knew that this could be it. And so how did you come to the decision to go from Austin, where you were living and in grad school, back to your hometown? There was a, a series of events. When the doctor said that my mom was on her last days, we hoped they would at least transfer her to a facility where we could see her through a window and bring her balloons on her birthday. The doctor said that she was too fragile to be transferred. And on August 4th uh, was when the doctor said that there was nothing else they could do. And the next morning I took the first flight home because I knew that even if I didn't get to see her or be there with her, I wanted to at least be in the same city when she passed. I was the only one out of her children who was still far away. She was put on hospice care at the hospital officially on August 6th. And my older brother begged them to let one person in to go see her. And we were desperate and terrified knowing she was alone. And on August 7th, was when hospice made the decision around 8 p.m. to let one person in, but only that night. My siblings chose me to be that person and I rushed to the hospital. At the hospital, they covered me in PPE. They told me to make it quick in order to reduce my exposure. I spent about 30 minutes with her. She was asleep because they had given her morphine I held her hand and I stroked her hair. I said some prayers for her. I felt her heartbeat and the warmth of her hand and sort of like engraved those in my memory. 
I basically just told her that it was okay, that we would be okay. I got my siblings on FaceTime and we sang her happy birthday because her birthday was going to be two days later. Having to do that, sing her happy birthday through FaceTime was, I, at that moment, I, I couldn't believe we were in that situation in the first place. I couldn't believe that this was reality, that this was happening, that we were having to do this. I made her some personal promises. I blessed her and through my mask and face shield, I gave her a kiss, but it wasn't really a kiss because I had my face shield on me. I wish I could have given her a real kiss or truly hold her hand, but I had to be covered in PPE and that was a whole nother feeling of helplessness. <sighs> the next day on August 8th was when she passed away a day before her 64th birthday and four days before my 26th. But I find comfort in the fact that she waited for me and she loved me so much that she fought COVID until I could be by her side and send her off with prayers and blessings. And I think that's love in its purest form. I know sometimes when we're going through something, that's so intense and so painful. We might be vaguely aware of what we're feeling, but it's not until later that we really can connect with what our emotional state was, especially in something that's like, it's just all happening and you're just trying to get through it. Did you have a sense while you were there with your mom of an awareness of what you were feeling and, and how has that changed in an understanding since then? I think I just sort of went into survival mode when it was happening, I sort of numbed myself. I knew that I had to be strong because my mom and I had had these conversations throughout the years, given her ALS diagnosis. And, you know, I would tell her how scared I was for the day that she would no longer be with me. She always had this attitude of, you have to be strong. You have to find that reason to keep living. That is still what gives me comfort nowadays. I feel like I'm still in the middle of it and I'm still processing. And I've told myself that it healing is a long journey. It's not going to happen in a year. I'm not going to be over it ever. I'm going to learn to move forward with it. I just take life day by day. I know that whatever I do with my life, it always has to be in her honor. And moving forward with that promise I made her of I'll always keep going no matter what. And I know we, we read in the newspaper and we see online how much COVID has changed, how people are able to do the rituals that happen after someone dies, whether it's a memorial service or a funeral or a wake or a, a religious service, what did your family end up doing? And, and what was that like for you? Oof, I think that losing a parent is, is painful enough, but losing them during a pandemic is, it just adds another layer of grief. First off, there was a two and a half week wait time at the funeral home due to the number of deaths. In Catholicism, it's traditional to have like a funeral mass with the casket present. 
directly before the burial, but we couldn't have that because of the pandemic. And that broke my heart because she deserved that. She was a woman of strong faith and she had raised us Catholic and I knew how important that was to her. She'd already been unable to receive the last rites at the hospital. So this was another blow to our religion. And at the funeral home, we were allowed only 10 people at a time. We decided to have an open casket service. Uh, the funeral home set up a plexiglass between my mom and the pew that is placed in front of the casket. Only my older brother touched her hands, but he was wearing gloves. Everyone at the service was wearing a mask. My siblings and I wore face shields, but we couldn't hug anyone, uh, not even each other. And that was just, it was painful because when, when you're grieving, it's sort of those hugs from family members and loved ones that, that are just comforting, but this one you couldn't hug anyone and I wanted to hug my siblings so badly and just cry but even that was denied from us my sister was seven months pregnant so we had to keep her safe another thing that's tradition for our Mexican culture is to have mariachis at the burial but because of COVID we couldn't it didn't feel right to not have music played for my mom so I improvised at the last minute and I asked my friend to bring me my car and I hooked up my phone and blasted the traditional funeral songs because it was the least she deserved. As you were talking, I was thinking about how you had mentioned at the beginning that you were had, had originally hoped your mom would be transferred to a hospital or a location where you could you and your family could go see her through the window. And then here you are at the service grieving your mom right near your siblings, but it's almost like you're all behind your own separate windows and can't physically touch one another and can't provide that level of comfort. Yeah, that was, as as I was, you know, as we were doing the procession towards the, the bureau spot, that's when it sort of hit me. And I was like, of course it would happen during this time of course it would happen like this like I was over it I was just this can't get any worse this couldn't have happened at a worse time when my sister you know I, I thought a lot about my sister because god being seven months pregnant and losing your mom in this way we were scared for for her for her health it was going to be my mom's first grandchild. And my mom was so excited for that. So just the timing of, of everything, you know, I had just gotten accepted into this dream program, dream graduate program. And the fact that my mom got sick two days into it, it was, it was heartbreaking. I, I found it hard to focus in school. I, you know, but I, I told myself that I had to keep going as if nothing happened with school and not postpone it and just keep trying my best because that's what my mom would have wanted. That program is excruciating in itself, but dealing with this loss, losing the most important person of, 
in my life during this program has just been mentally exhausting beyond belief but I'm I'm already like two-thirds of the way done with it and the fact that I'm still going to class and turning in assignments and things like that I have no explanation other than divine intervention and my mom giving me that strength the other thing I think about with with having someone die from COVID is there's this extremely personal loss, the loss of your mom, and you're grieving your mom in the context of a public pandemic. This is affecting so many people across the world, but it's also highly publicized, politicized, debated, and wondering what it's like for you, having had your mom die of COVID, to see news articles and and read things on social media of people either dismissing or denying or, or not following some of the public health guidelines. It's honestly really shocking to me. I don't know how people can say that something we experienced isn't real. When it's backed by science, when I saw what it did, when so many people are still dying from it. I remember that when my mom passed, we were at about 200,000 deaths. Today, we're almost at 400,000. And I constantly ask myself how many more have to die before people take this seriously. I had to learn how important it was to take a break from social media. I'm just saddened by the disregard for the lives of others that I see every day. When I see people out and about at bars celebrating, it leaves me speechless because this pandemic could have been controlled and so many lives could have been saved if our communities and their leaders thought of others a little more. And I want people who don't take this seriously to know that what we experienced was horrifying. They don't want to have to say goodbye to their loved ones through FaceTime and watch as they gasp for air. When I see people downplaying this virus, it's beyond anger sometimes. I don't know what it'll take, but I hope people really, really understand and it gets through their head that this could happen to them. One thing I, I feel like I hear a lot is when someone contracts COVID or someone in their family contracts COVID, there's this kind of rush to figure out where, like, where did I get it? Who else was exposed? And wondering if that was part of your family's process and, and what that meant for you. Yeah, I think about that as much as I, I know it's not healthy for me to to think about who or what happened because there's no way, there's no way I can know for sure, because this virus, it's very tricky. For me, what pains me is that she literally stayed home the entire time. The only people going into the house were my brother who lives there and healthcare providers. My brother took his precautions and my older brother happened to be visiting from Dallas when it all happened. My brother from Dallas, made sure he was negative before he went into the home. My mind has wrestled with, who was it? My mind tells me that it might have been a healthcare provider that brought it into the home because there were 
several, like she had uh, an evening one and then she had a day one. There is a lack of regulation in the home health uh, agency industry where there's a lack of PPE provided to the caregivers. The check-in process, they call the agency every start of the shift and they sort of say, hey, I'm not having any symptoms today. Okay, cool. And so then they're allowed to go into the homes of the patients. You know, my mind will want to point to that. But then again, like I said, I'll never know. And perhaps maybe that's the best thing that I'll never know who, because if not, I would live with so much resentment towards one person. And I would never want that. And Mariana, since you and I first connected and talked about doing this episode together, you had another family member contract COVID and wondering what that was like and and how they're doing. Yeah, so we got some really devastating news towards the end of December that my dad had contracted COVID. And my dad is an older man. He's 86 years old. When he told us he tested positive, it was like reliving that nightmare. In my head, I was like, why? Why is this happening? Why is it targeting my family? You know, it's bad enough because unfortunately we live in a region in Texas that has been really hardly hit um, with COVID, which is the Rio Grande Valley. With my dad, I feel like I, I had a little bit less of control over the situation because my dad lives with his other children from another marriage. And so I don't really know what kind of precautions they're taking. And so when my dad was tested positive for COVID, he was immediately admitted into the hospital because of his age. I begged God to not do this again, because I don't know how I would have been able to handle losing both parents within the span of five months to COVID. The difference between him and my mom was that my dad still has mobility. He's still very healthy. He had his cell phone with him. So when my mom was in the hospital, because she couldn't move, we had to depend on nurses to keep us updated. We, My sister would call in the mornings and I would call in the evenings to check on my mom's status. If the nurses had time, they would grab one of the hospital iPads and hold it up for my mom to see us. And of course, that would be very brief because, you know, they're busy with other patients. They don't have time to stay there and hold an iPad for someone. That was an added layer to this horrible situation. So when my dad was in the hospital, it it was a little different. And my, my siblings and I, we, we kept on telling each other, hey, keep, keep the faith. Mom's story was different than dad's. It doesn't necessarily mean that the same is going to happen. My dad's birthday was actually on New Year's Eve. And I remember we all got on a conference call and sang happy birthday to my dad through the phone. And doing that brought back a lot of horrible memories here we are 
doing this again. Thankfully, God listened to us and gave us a break. And my dad was able to walk out of the hospital and he's at home recovering. He has gained most of his health back. He's about 90% recovered already. That in itself, I know it's a true miracle because so many people, especially because of his age, it, it was just divine intervention. And we're just so lucky that he was able to, to make it through. And we were just so blessed that his story was different. But thinking about the emotional toll that took on you to have it be so similar to the story with your mom and have to work so hard to remind yourself that this story could turn out differently, but then to be, yeah, just all of those things being similar. Uh, and Mariana, I know you, you reached out to me and said, Hey, I have the story. I'd like to tell it on grief out loud, which I'm grateful for you taking the risk to do that. And wondering, you know, in this moment, what do you most want our listeners and the world to know about what it's like to have your parent die of COVID? I want everyone to know this happened and this was real and we lived it. And it's something I don't wish on anyone because it's going to take an entire lifetime to heal from this. I want them to know that her life mattered, that she was a person in this world. She isn't just a number. None of the COVID victims should be seen as just a number. They were mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and siblings from all walks of life. And they existed and they mattered and they deserved better. We have to honor our loved ones by telling their individual stories. I want anyone listening to this that has or who has lost someone to COVID to be extra kind to themselves because what happened is something we may never understand. We are having to grieve in an unusual way and it's okay to not be okay after that. It's something that no one could have prepared us for. You have every right to be confused, upset, angry, sad, when you see others downplaying the severity of this, it's okay and it's important to take a break from social media and drown out the noise because your priority is your peace. You have to protect your peace and you have to focus on your own healing, which is the most important thing right now. You know, you mentioned taking a break from social media and also how trying to grieve right now during such a, like a constricted time, like we don't have access to the, all the things that we might normally have access to, to support us in grieving such a painful experience. What's currently helping you? Yeah. So I've joined a couple of grief support groups on Facebook. Um, one of them is called motherless daughters. And there I connect with women who have lost their mothers. And that has really helped me feel less lonely in this battle. There are subgroups that I'm also part of, um, which are more geared towards like young adults who have lost mothers. There's one for young adults who have lost parents to COVID, knowing that 
there are other people my age because, you know, being so young and sort of not having like my peers share the same experience can be very isolating at times, but being able to connect with other young adults around the world that have lost their parent in a very similar way has has really helped me. I'm also heavily uh, relying on my faith. Grief is extra heavy when death is viewed as finite, but I'm a strong believer that the separation is only temporary. And my mom was always my motivation to keep going. So when she passed, I thought to myself, who am I going to live for now? And the answer is still her because I wake up every day and fight through life's challenges because that is exactly what she taught us to do. Well, Mariana, I'm so honored to have had this conversation with you while I also wish we never had to have this conversation. So I'm just, I'm grateful for you to reaching out to me and for, for taking a risk to come on the show and to talk about your grief and talk about your mom with me and our listeners. Thank you so much, Jana. I hope this, uh, this story really helps heal anyone who's in the same situation and also bring awareness and consciousness to, to our current situation so that we may be a little more kind to each other. And listeners out there, I will put in the show notes uh, some links to the groups that Mariana referenced in case you are somebody who is in need of that type of support or you know someone in your life who could use that type of support. Check that out in the show notes. And if you want to reach out to me directly, you could email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. And that's also where to go to find any of our old episodes, D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G forward slash grief out loud. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.